McKay is beating, a shot by O'Donnell, he scores! Sean O'Donnell, and it's two to nothing. Well, congratulations to Sean You're listening to All the King's Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. However, the views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and other contributors. They do not necessarily represent those of the Los Angeles Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. It's All-Star Week, Kings fans. It's finally here. The All-Star Game is this weekend. It's the 100th anniversary of the NHL, the 50th anniversary of the LA Kings. We're going to have skills competitions, best player lists, an All-Star Game, the Fan Fest, so, so, so much stuff. If you're not going to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Premium, Google Play, Overcast, or all functional app catchers, please do keep your eyes and ears open to LAKings.com because there really is just a ton of events planned for this week and this weekend. You're not going to want to miss any of them. Recent episodes and subscription links can be found at LAKings.com slash podcast. But first things first, we are even closer to the end of our 50 Kings series. And so today we bring you a conversation with former Kings defenseman and current Kings analyst, Sean O'Donnell. Do it, Dave. As the Kings continue to celebrate our 50th anniversary, our 50 Kings series continues at LAKings.com. Our guest this week is the man they call OD. He played with the Kings from 1994 to 2000, 2008 to 2010. Sean O'Donnell. Sean, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Jesse, I'm going to let you take it from here. I know you have probably dozens and dozens of questions for Sean O'Donnell, so the floor is yours. Well, sure. thank you very much. Uh, born in Ottawa. Yep. Um, Canada. People sorry, Canada. Sorry, sorry. Canada be very upset <laughs> My uncle lives in Canada on, All right. on uh, Perrant Lane, I believe, okay. or something like that. Um, do you ever get to talk to Jim Fox about uh, the old hometown? A little bit. A little bit. We talk about, you know, he was with the 67th, so mm-hmm. he actually, you know, was from there, played for the team. I was shipped up to Sudbury at around 16 years old, so... Uh, um, I didn't get a chance to play there, but, you know, great memories living... Uh, the, you know, I know that rink when pe- people put it out there, they think, why the heck did they put it out there? Well, that's pretty much where I'm from, and it, it really, uh, that area kind of took off once they put the rink in there, and now they're looking at moving back downtown, so we'll see what happens, but uh, great spot to raise a family. You mentioned you were uh, shipped up to Sudbury at uh, 16. At what point did you get a sense that an NHL career might be in your future? I never did. I, I wasn't one of those guys that thought that I was destined for big things, or, you know, my parents had a plan when I was 12 or 13. It was just... Literally one year at a time. When I went to when I went to junior, I thought, well, this is great because back then, when you when you signed a deal with an OHL team, if you didn't get drafted or sign a contract, they would pay for a Canadian school. So I thought, this is great. I can get a you know I can go to school in Canada and and they'll pay for it or, or pay some of it. And then things started going well, and then I got drafted. And I thought, well, this is great. I got drafted in the sixth round by uh, Buffalo Sabers, and if nothing ever happens again, I can show my kids someday that I was drafted to the NHL. And then I went to camp, and things went well, and I ended up making the team in Rochester, the minor league team. It just kind of snowballed, and, and after three years in the minors, I, I got traded out here to L.A., and, and I got a chance here. And, and again, it was we were going through a transition where you know it was kind of one year at a time. So there was never that um, aha moment where I was like, you know, I'm going to be in the NHL. It was probably after my second year in the NHL that I realized <laughs> I was going to be in the NHL. Uh, Canada to Sudbury to Rochester to L.A., how big of a culture shock, just from a weather standpoint it and was, everything else? It was huge. I, um, you know, you nailed it right on the head with the weather. I thought growing up there was a lot of snow, and then I went to Sudbury, 
and it was more cold than it went than snow. And then Rochester was something I'd never seen before, right on the lake, and the snow that we got there was incredible. Uh, and then coming to LA was was uh, you know shocking. Not only the, the climate here, but you know this was still. You got to remember when I came here in '94, there there still had Gretzky and Curry and McSorley and Kelly Rudy and you know Blake was still here and Granado and uh, you know it, it it went down the line. So coming to training camp was. Uh, you know, again, it was it was the biggest culture shock as you could get. I imagine it was then complicated by spending most of that first year in Phoenix. Um, what was Phoenix like as a hockey market in the early nineties? It was it was a good hockey market. I mean, there was you know, look if you if you polled a hundred percent of the people in Phoenix, there might only be at that time maybe ten percent of the people that really knew a whole lot about the Roadrunners. But those ten percent, uh, they were rabid fans, and you know we had the, the Madhouse on McDowell was uh, <laughs> was a fun place to play. And, and Robbie Laird, who was the scout for the Kings, um, was my head coach there, and and we had a really good team that year, um, and it was a lot of fun. You know, again, it was uh, I didn't make the team that year in LA. I got sent down, and there ended up being a lockout until January back in '94-'95. So to go to a new climate and, and to play in the desert and, and uh, wear shorts to practice and flip flops in December, you know, that was. Uh, that was something to get used to, but it was, uh, you know, again, we had a good team, and it was a lot of fun, and it was uh, it was good being part of that. We've talked to a bunch of guys who were around during uh, the Gretzky era, and, and the stories that keep coming out are the, whether it's the celebrities in the locker room or going out to dinner and having uh, Wayne hold the restaurant open till 1 in the morning or anything like that, was that ever overwhelming or, or surreal? Were there any moments where you just couldn't believe you were sharing space with, you know, some... Yeah, there was, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's got a hundred stories. I think everybody remembers the first time actually meeting him. And, and it was that training camp, and, and you know, he, he I, I forget, we were at a station, we didn't get tested. And he came up and introduced himself, and I kind of smiled, and, yeah, I know, I know who you are. <laughs> I introduced myself, and, and he couldn't have been nicer. And, you know, uh, that second year before he got traded to uh, St. Louis... We were playing a game in Pittsburgh, and I had been I played about fifteen games my first year, so maybe it was ten games in. So I I played twenty games with him, maybe. Very very nice, but we know we never had a lot of interaction. And then we're staying overnight in Pittsburgh. We'd beat Pittsburgh that night in Pittsburgh, and uh, we came out of the shower, and he was right there, and he's like, uh, "Any plans tonight, kid?" And I said, "No." <laughs> so let's go for dinner, and then you know we went. We had about four or five of us went for dinner, and it was just it's one of those things that you don't forget when yeah. you know you call home. They don't have social media back then, so you had to wait until the next day to uh, find a payphone or go and, uh, you know, call from your hotel and, and, and tell all your friends and family that Wayne Gretzky invited you up for dinner, and, you know, obviously he pays, so it was a great time. Uh, you mentioned uh, playing with Gretzky, you know, guys of that caliber, obviously there are only a few guys, but uh, Gretzky, obviously a teammate, guys you might have played against, were there guys that, that stood out? Gretzky-like guys, as a defenseman, especially facing forwards, yeah. what guys kind of stood out to you as guys being the most talented? Well, there was, there was, it's funny because there's so many great players, but they all brought different challenges. I was, I was a bigger guy uh, and not the fastest guy. So uh, when I first came to the league, Lindros was a guy that was oh. you know, tearing the league up, but I, I enjoyed playing against him because his strengths, not that his strengths were my strengths, I guess that's a way to put it, but... I had an easier time dealing with a guy that was 6'4", 235 pounds than dealing maybe with Paul Correa or Tane Wissolani sure. or uh, um, Sergei Fedorov or some of those guys. So, you know, I, there, there's a whole bunch of great players. I remember Joe Sackett kind of uh, uh, teaching me a pretty good lesson on, on how to play a one-on-one. -on -one. I thought I had him, and <laughs> I didn't even come close to having him, and he scored a nice goal. 
Uh, you learn from those things. But I, I think if you had to ask me one guy, I think playing against Mario Lemieux was pretty special. I think that was one of the ones that when it was when you were playing against uh, that guy and you had a chance to go on the ice, it was it was a real measuring stick on. Okay, you know, I think I can play in this league. I got Marilyn Mew on the power play, and I'm killing the penalty. Let me see if I can see what he's thinking of doing, what he's trying to do. Um, you know, and, and, and that's the stuff that you miss when you're playing is, is that uh, testing yourself. Um, where do I rank against these guys? Can I shut this guy down? Or can I beat this guy one-on-one? -on -one? That kind of stuff. So I, I would guess getting to play with Wayne and then playing against Wayne was fun, but I, I guess Mario would be the one other guy that was a real, uh, you know, real measuring stick and, and certainly a fun challenge. In terms of tough toughest players you've ever played against in terms of grit, toughness, not tough, he's, uh oh, here comes this guy, tough guys, who, and I'm not talking about dropping the gloves, yeah. just tough. Who's the toughest guy you ever played against? It's uh, a good question. Um, you know, a couple names come to, come to uh, Matty Nordstrom was a guy that I played with and I became sure. good friends with, but playing against him and, and getting to see what, uh, you know, the stuff that, that, that he went through. I remember one time watching him in Anaheim where he took a slap shot from Ryan Getzlaff right in the face mm. and, uh, you know, lost a bunch of teeth and, you know, skated off and, and uh, obviously missed the rest of that game, but I don't think he missed any time after that. Um, Peter Forsberg was, was a tough player. He was a talented guy, but he was a guy that you knew when you went in the corner you had to be ready because he, he, uh, he would come at you the way, uh, the way you would go at him. And, and then, you know, in front of the net, I think Holmstrom, Thomas Holmstrom probably in front of the net was the guy that gave me the most the most trouble because most guys stand in front of the net and they don't do a whole lot where he would stand there and actually try and initiate contact and, and maybe try and draw you into another penalty. So just off the top of my head, those are, I just realized those are three Swedes. <laughs> tough guys. Wow, tough, tough guys. guys. <laughs> All right. But uh, those are just three names off the top of my head sure. that, that kind of come to yeah. the front. Sean, you mentioned not necessarily thinking that you had a career. You mentioned, you know, guys uh, with more speed or, or maybe more skill, but where does the the work ethic and the commitment to the game you play come from? Where is that developed? Um, well, growing up in Canada, it's it's just one of the it's the love of the game that you 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 know kids out here might hit the water and go surfing or go skateboarding or whatever it is. But there you literally and it was a different time too. You know, I grew up in the in the 70s where it was okay in the town that I grew up to wake up on a Saturday morning, grab your skates and your stick and your gloves and your mom would say be home for dinner. She would have no idea where you were for you know, 10 hours or eight hours and that's what you were doing all day. You got your friends and grabbed a tennis ball or a puck and, and you went on a, a frozen sheet of ice and you just played. Um, and, and I think that's where my passion for the game came. And, and I think you know a lot of it came from not wanting to maybe let people down, let, uh, you know, my parents, obviously, they, they didn't do it for that reason, but all the time that they sacrificed on weekends. I mean, you're talking about people that had nine to five jobs and would come home two or three times a week, throw some in the microwave real quick and then take you to practice maybe an hour away and get home at 8.30 at night and then get up and do it again. Saturdays, get up at 5.30 or 6, take you to tournaments. I mean, ask any parent around here what the kind of, you know, time commitment that you have to have when you have a, a child in hockey. And, um, you know, just never wanting to let them down, never want to let my teammates down, just taking a lot of pride in being a good teammate, doing whatever I felt needed to be done to make the team better. Um, is that tied into, you've been involved in charity throughout your career, is that hand-in-hand hand with where you developed that sense of, of community and charity? Well, yeah, I think so. I think when I was with teams, um, starting probably in the minors, we would go to hospitals or, or we would get involved with the charity. 
and it was great that they did it, but it was one of those things where, you know, you'd go to a hospital for three hours once or twice a year, and um, it was a great uh, experience to, to, to be able to bring a smile to the kids' faces or, or do something for an animal charity or, or whatever it was, but I, I, I always just felt like, you know, that was two or three times a year that I did that, and I'm glad I did it, but, you know, it's 365 days, and obviously you can't do it all days, but there's more that you can give, and, and I think it was just... Uh, um, being able to give back, being very, very fortunate. I had my health, and I had, uh, you know, a good family that, that provided me with these kind of things. Other people aren't as fortunate. So if I can donate financially or donate my time to help out, then that's something I always wanted to do. Dave asked you about uh, forwards it was difficult to play against. What about goalies? Was there a style of goalie that you liked to play in front of? <laughs> oh, in front of? I yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I imagine you played with a number of different uh, styles of tender over, and the position evolved during the, the it did. breadth of it, your career. It really did, and, and I think, I don't know if so much of a style of goaltender was, uh, it mattered so much, it's just I always liked a kind of a calm personality. You know, I some goals were pretty fiery, some goalies back there, but the ones that I seemed to get along with the best were the ones that you really didn't know if you were up by two or down by two, if it was a game for first place or a game seven of the Stanley Cup or if it was exhibition. <laughs> they just went out and did their thing. And, um, you know, that's the way for the most part that I, I tried to play that way. I mean, obviously things happen in a game that you can get fired up or you can get mad. But for the most part, I always felt like you make your best decisions when you're calm. And, and I that's the way I tried to play. And I, I always liked when a goalie was the same way. You... Uh had a fight or two in your career. Uh, were those fights as a result of being calm or being fiery? Um, probably both. I mean, some of them are, are were calculated where I felt like we're going into a place and, and it was a big, tough team. and Maybe we had a young team and we uh, you could see that the guys, there wasn't a whole lot being said in warm-ups or in the locker room. And you felt, you know, let's just go out and kind of loosen things up a little bit. You get into a fight and the guys get fired up, so it was a, it was a planned thing. Loosen things up. Yeah, I just been loosen the room yeah, up. Loosen. Um, and there are other times where I legitimately was mad at somebody um, or, or you know, something happened on the ice where one of your players that maybe wasn't a fighter, you felt like he was getting taken advantage of by somebody and you either went and, and addressed that person directly or maybe you did the same thing to someone on their team and then they addressed it with you. So there's all kinds of reasons for fighting, but it's amazing how uh, few of them are uh, you know, spontaneous. Uh, there's more now, but back then it was it was really it was calculated a lot of times. You were uh, the first captain of the Minnesota Wild, which is a fact that incidentally won me some popcorn uh, <laughs> recently, so thanks for that. Um, I'm glad I can help. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, going to a brand new team that had no history, had no fans, had no, you know, development system, et cetera, and being the captain for that first month? Well, it was it was an honor. I mean, it was, you know, we were kind of, we called ourselves kind of the, the misfits because, you know, it's it doesn't matter how long you've played or how good a player you are. You know, guys are going to experience it this year in Las Vegas. You're basically a group. If you're not a free agent, you're all from the same boat that the team felt there was eight other players that were more valuable on their team. And back then, I think it was 10 or 11. So you were pretty far down the pecking order. So you, you come there and you're... Uh, you know, you use that as a rallying support, but but to be, um, you know, chosen as that first captain with, <laughs> excuse me, a brand new team. I mean, that was a crazy hockey market, and they were so excited to see the Wild there. Um, you know, I still remember Jacques Lemaire coming in. It was kind of a surprise, and he was kind of walking around with the jersey with the C there, and he just happened to stop in front of my stall and kind of turn and smiled. So it was, uh, 
it was a, a neat thing and, and certainly an honor to because uh, they take their hockey serious there and, and to be uh, named the first captain was a uh, was a pretty neat thing. Late that season, you got dealt to the New Jersey Devils. You guys lost in 2001 uh, Cup Finals to the Avs. Traded for Willie Mitchell, by the way. Willie Farmer Mitchell, came. there you go. Uh, seven Who trade for Minnesota? <laughs> seven games you lost to the Avs in the 01 Cup Final. What do you remember about that series? Uh, I remember thinking that we were going to win before it started because we, we had a really good team in New Jersey. And we'd gone into Colorado maybe with 10 or 12 games left in the year and beat them pretty soundly. I think it was 5-2 or 6-2. And it wasn't so much that, but uh, in that round, I think it was against L.A. or St. Louis, uh, Forsberg got hurt. And we'd heard that he would not be able to play. He was done. I think it was his spleen or something. I forget. He was done for the year. Injured against the Kings. Injured against the Kings, yeah. And I, I remember thinking, well, Forsberg's out. Um, I, we like our chances. We got this. We yeah. Got this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know they had Bork, and I know they had Sackett, and Rob Blake was on that team. And, I just felt like we, if you look at the roster, we had a really, really deep team, and uh, we didn't. We lost in seven games. We had them up. We went into it was tied two two. We went into Colorado, one game five, so we were coming home with a chance to win. And it was just one of those games where uh, it just wasn't meant to be. I mean, they had one or two kind of funny goals went in, and, and we did everything. We threw everything at Patrick Waugh, and, and, and to me, he is the. Uh, at least in our era, the greatest big game goalie because he just he was not going to get beat that night. And then again, we went back to game seven, and we, you know, you don't win at home in game six, and you have to go on the road in game seven. You're you're hoping you can win, and you think you can, but it takes a little bit of juice out of you when you when you, when you have a chance to win it at home. And uh, I think they beat us four one that game. And again, uh, Sackick had had some points, and, and uh, Patrick Wall was awesome. So, um, you know, it. it it was tough losing that, but at the same time, I, I getting traded at the deadline. As much as I would have loved to win that, getting if I could only win one cup, I think winning it uh, a couple years later in Anaheim meant more because I'd been with that team for a year and a half, and you go through the ups and you go through the downs and the trials and tribulations that a season take. And when you come at the deadline, and you win. It's still great, but I, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much as I, I did, uh, you know, when I won it later on. So you played with New Jersey. You played with Boston. Uh, three seasons there. You actually had 22 assists in 80 games, uh, career highs for you. Uh, signed with Phoenix, uh, played, came back to the Kings, went to the Flyers, went to the Blackhawks, yep. 17 years in the NHL. Of all the cities you played in, what's your favorite? Well, I'm going to take L.A. out of it because L.A. is my favorite city, and you know that's where I live now. Even when I played in Anaheim, I lived in Hermosa Beach. I commuted every day, so I love L.A. But if I have to take that out of it, I would have to say Chicago was my favorite city, but I was most surprised. But I knew Chicago was great. I knew Boston was great. I wasn't sure what to expect out of Philadelphia. And I lived downtown there. My wife and I, we didn't have kids at the time, and we loved Philadelphia. We, we just thought the restaurants, the, the scene, the history there. We lived right, you know, right across the street from Independence Hall. And, and I, that's a city really... Really surprised me. I, I, I miss Philadelphia a little bit. I, I really had a good time there. And again, I'm not saying it was the best city. I love Chicago, I love Boston, obviously I love LA, but as far as surprising and, and sneaky good, I loved Philly. In terms of, uh, you mentioned living in Hermosa and commuting in Anaheim. First of all, I got to ask you about that commute every day. But yeah, secondly, uh, winning, winning the cup there and having played for the Kings, was there, was there any, listen, everybody wants to win the cup, we know that. You want to <laughs> hoist it and, and it doesn't matter where you win it. But are you, are you thinking at that time, I played in L.A., this, is there any kind of 
feeling like, no, I wish I could have done it there? Well, yeah, you do. But I mean, I still look back. Those, I, Of course I do. If I, if I could have written the perfect script, it would have been those teams. The most fun I ever had playing hockey, as far as uh, the guys, the camaraderie. Uh, in the late 90s, we had a run of about four years where it was, you know, Rob Blake, Glenn Murray, uh, Matt Johnson, Ray Ferraro, uh, Matthias Nordstrom, Doug Smolik. Uh, Ian LaPera. Doug Smolik. I mean, that was that was Gary Galley. I mean, that yeah, was yeah. a great group. Uh, we weren't very good, <laughs> which <laughs> is it unfortunate, was fun. but it was fun. Yeah. And if I could have, you know, if you could write the perfect script, it would have been winning with that group of guys. Uh, it didn't happen. Um, but no, when you're, you know, again, I, I still had, I loved L.A., but at the time, you know, don't forget, too, it wasn't like I left on my own. I was... Uh, uh, I was left off in the expansion draft. It wasn't even a trade where you get something tangible back. I was basically nope and, and just let go. So I wasn't bitter towards LA, but I didn't feel like I owed LA Kings anything at the time. Right. I felt like I put in six good years. Um, I still cheered for a lot of my friends on the team. You know, Luke's another guy that uh, that was still there. Uh, so when I won in Anaheim, no, there wasn't any kind of. Uh, 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 I feel kind of guilty that I played in LA for so long because I loved my time in LA. It ended. Um, and then when I was in Anaheim, I was fully committed to them. But then again, same thing when I came back to LA, and and they beat Anaheim in the playoffs a couple years ago. I didn't feel any kind of. Um, I was LA, you know. I was yeah, I right. was now with the right. Kings, and and I was cheering one hundred percent for them. Now I want to revisit that expansion draft because I think you're selling yourself a little bit short. Okay. The team the team was protecting two goalies at the yep. time, whereas most team was protecting one. So if they had let either Fizay or Store be claimed. Uh, I think you would have been a king. Uh, we'll never know. That's I mean, true. That's, that's a, true. That's a question for the <laughs> higher ups. You know, I uh, when you're, I would have liked to have stayed. And, and the other thing too is, and one of the things that was a little bit of a sticking point was, I had one year of the expansion, then I was going to be an unrestricted free agent. So I think there was the, um, you know, there was that whole thing where, you know, if we do do this, and, and again, I'm just speculating because I don't know what Dave Taylor, or what Andy Murray, or, or the rest of the people are thinking, but. If we do do this, will we lose you after a year? You know, what, what's, do you want to stay here? All those kind of questions came into it, and I think they, you know, they, they still were kind of on the fence as who's going to be our number one goalie moving forward. So, um, obviously, if we can only protect three defense, we have Rob and Matthias, and um, Aki Berg was the guy that they chose to, uh, chose to stick with. So, it was unfortunate, but life happened. You mentioned a lot of the players from that era in Kings history. <laughs> um, I read an interview where you mentioned uh, a lot of you know veterans coming in, you know, in and out of the locker room, and that Stephen Finn had yep. uh, an impact on you. Can you talk a little bit about what he meant to your well, career? Well, you know, he was he was a great. I still remember talking to him one night, and you know, he I, I felt bad for 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 Fenner because he played in Quebec for I don't know how long, probably ten or eleven years, and they didn't have good teams at all. And then they start to get a really good team in, in Colorado. They move there, and they just feel that, uh, you know, he's getting a little older now, and, and to win a cup, they felt like they needed to go in different directions. They, they traded us to the they traded him to the Kings. And he was playing on the Kings, and I was the young guy kind of coming up and maybe taking some of his ice time. And not knowing him really well, I was a little bit awkward around him because you're essentially taking someone's job and taking their, you know, their livelihood. And we were having a beer one time, and he said, "You, you do. I had a good run, and I'm gonna. I'm not gonna let you come and take my spot. I'm gonna work as hard as I can. But if it's your time, it's your time, and I'm fine with that. I'm, you know, what kind of person would I be if I tried to sabotage your career so I could play one more year? I've, I've had a good run, and I want to keep playing. But if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be, and I'll, I'll mm -hmm. help you any way I can. And I, I've still never forgotten that. And 
um, I think it's a really good uh, attitude to take, and it's not something you always see from people all the time. But I, I've never forgotten, you know, those words he said. Have you ever had the opportunity to take a younger player out for a beer and, and repeat those words? I don't know if I've repeated those words so much as I've just tried to be, you know, towards the end in, in Philadelphia, or I guess in Chicago would be a better example because I was in and out of the lineup that last year, and there were some young players that were playing ahead of me, and you don't like to come out of the lineup, you you want to contribute, you're, you're a little bit embarrassed, you know, being around. There's all kinds of emotions that go on when you're a healthy scratch. Um, but again, you're, you're what, what's the point in, in trying to take that on somebody? You, you're a certain way around the locker room, you're a good teammate, you help out when you can, and you come home and, you know, tell your wife what you're going through. And that, that's <laughs> what your family or your support group is for. You don't you don't bring it out on uh, around the team or, or certainly a young guy that was where you were to over 15 years ago. Um, you mentioned earlier, and it's been sort of the theme that your career is the you know the the good teammate, the the silent partner, the yeah. the do what you have to do. In 2008, supporting actor. There you go. <laughs> in 2008, you returned to the Kings, uh, and in that first season, you played 1,041 minutes with Drew Doughty. Here's a list of defensive pairs, the only defensive pairs that were more effective than the two of you that season. Uh, Seabrook and Keith, Suter and Weber, Blake and Vlasic, and Lidstrom and Rafalski. That's that's a pretty strong supporting role, Sean. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that was uh, uh, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I, you know, one of the things towards the end of your career that I think really helped me was I, you know, playing after we won the cup. I, I played a year in Anaheim, two in LA, one in Philly, and one in Chicago. And you get uh, when you change jobs and change rooms and change organizations, you you go through a little bit of an insecurity where. You have to reprove yourself all over again. You can't. They don't care what you did last year. I mean, teams don't care what you did last year, anyways. But they can be a little more forgiving when when you've performed for them before. But you know, coming to LA and and you know, I could see what they were doing here, and they had a, a lot of young guys and a good group, and they they just made that big trade for uh, for Matt Green and Jared Stoll, and I could see what the effects that was having the dynamic in the locker room. And, and Drew was a guy that came in, and he was just like this uh, raw. Uh, maybe unpolished, but this raw um, talent that it was just a pleasure to play with him. And the thing with Drew is he, he's, uh, he's, he's, his mind is uh, on the ice. It's, he doesn't forget things. It's like a computer. You know, if he misplays a three-on-two or a guy beats him wide, either you point it out to him or he sees it and it's locked in. It doesn't happen again. You know, some guys make the same mistake two, three, four, five times and, and, they never progress, whereas Drew, he's such a quick learner and he adapts so quickly. Um, you know, to get to play with him that year was uh, it was a huge boost in my career. It made me feel, I think I was 37 at the time, 36, 37, and it made me feel 25 again because here you are around an 18-year-old who can log those kind of minutes, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I was always impressed with the way you played defense, but reading a bunch of interviews and, and – sort of taking a look back at your career in preparation for this, one of the things that I was most impressed impressed with was your insight for the game. Do you ever consider coaching? Um, I did for a while, and I, I just think that uh, it's it's a lot. It's, uh, you know, it's, I was, I think if I had started a family earlier on, I think a lot of guys retire. You got to remember, too, a lot of guys that I think get into coaching are retiring in their early 30s or sometimes even late 20s where I played till I was 40. Mm -hmm. And I just think coaching is something that I just wasn't ready to commit to with a newborn. When I retired, my, my daughter was born three months later. And, you know, until you make it in the NHL, even when you make it in the NHL, there's a lot of moving and you're, 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 you know, there's a lot of 
you know, area codes that you have to go through <laughs> to, to get where you want to be, even if you ever get there. And I just, it wasn't something after playing for 17 years in the NHL that I was ready to, to start. So I, I think that the, uh, the ship has sailed on coaching. Um, but uh, as far as teaching and doing stuff with development, I, I love doing that. You might not be coaching, but obviously you're broadcasting. People know you. They see you between the benches. They see you as an analyst now on Fox Sports Net, uh, Fox Sports West, and it used to be for Nesson when you were in Boston. How did you get into the broadcasting position you're currently in, and what do you think of it now? I enjoy it. I, I enjoy being around the game in, in any capacity I can, and I, I just kind of stumbled on it as far as um, I would... I would get compliments when I gave an interview and, and people would suggest that, you know, when you're done, maybe you should look into that. And I just, you know, when you're playing, you can't think about that kind of stuff. You have to think about playing. So you were just, a good interview. Yeah, thank you. Thank interview. you. So <laughs> you just kind of push to the back of your head and you, you thank you very much and you move on with the rest of your day. And, and then, you, you know, you start to see the end coming and you think, well, what, what, what can I do uh, when I'm done playing and coaching? Obviously something you think about, do I want to do that? Do I want to get into management? Do I want to, Scout, whatever it is that you want to do, and, and broadcasting is an avenue that, again, I wasn't really thinking about it, and it was Luke Robitaille that called and said, listen, we have this position with the Kings, um, it's, it's partly broadcasting and partly, uh, uh, you know, working in fan development, working for the Kings, they had just won their first cup, they were looking to expand that, that, uh, that market, that area, and Luke and I had a great relationship, I, mean, I was living in Florida at the time, and he said, would you move back to L.A.? And, uh, I talked about doing the home broadcast because I, I didn't want to travel, you know, with that set scheduling in because of uh, the family situation. Luke was great. He said, "Yeah, well, well, let's start with just the home games, the pre and the post, and uh, you know, do the fan development through some clinics, and that's kind of how I started doing it." And what was the learning curve like when you first got into it? Was it was it? Uh, did you feel like you were just getting hit in the face with stuff? Like, like I, I'm this is all new to me because you're used to playing hockey for a living, and now all of a sudden it's a whole different avenue. You're well, at. there's certain parts when you're just talking hockey. That part was. I, I thought pretty seamless. Uh, the learning curve was the making sure that you project a certain way or sit up high in your seat <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, trying to get your answer in a certain amount of time because they have to hit the commercial or having a producer talk to you in your ear sure. while you're trying to give your answer or you're trying to listen to the person asking the question. So I found the post game was much easier because you're just talking hockey. There's no script that's just, all right, let's just talk about the game. The pregame is a little more structured, and, and that one took me a little bit longer because you have to hit these points, and you, you know certain sponsorships that have to be met, and there's certain things that have to be done that it's a little more scripted, um, uncomfortable now. But that one took me a little bit longer to do. How uh, how big of a help has Patrick O'Neill been to you as well? Are you working with him in the <coughs> pre and post game? Excuse me. Yeah, there's been two people that have probably been the biggest help. Um, Patrick is one guy that is very easy to work with, and there's times where. Um, you know, I, like I said, he, people would say, you're doing a good job. And I'd say, well, I, I'm just hitting the ball. Patrick's running, go getting it, teeing it up, and I hit it. And I, you know, that's, I, he's the one that tees it up. Um, and Jim Fox, Jim Fox has been invaluable. I know when I first came here, uh, we met for lunch one day, and we met for about two, two and a half hours just going over everything and what's it like. And he was the one that gave me probably the best advice or, you know, not one specific thing, but just overall. Um, you know, how to get your, your message across and what to stick to and how to open up your thought um, and how to close your thought. It, it sounds funny, but when you know what you want to say, when you're trying to get a point across, sometimes how to, how to start the point and how to finish the point succinctly is probably the two most difficult things to do in an interview, and, and he helped me with that.
Well, you have the benefit of being incredibly well-spoken to begin with. Like <laughs> I said, you. always really impressed with your insights to the game. I want to backtrack to 2007 and that Stanley Cup winning team in, okay. in Anaheim. There's a debate that I've been having with some of my friends. We've had it on the podcast before. Uh, at their peak, obviously the ages don't line up, in a seven-game series between the 2007 Ducks and the 2012 Kings. Because oh, <laughs> I think the two that Kings fans will not enjoy hearing this, but yeah. I think that 2007 team was one of the great teams, I mean, of all time. It was an incredible team. Who wins in a seven-game series between those two well, teams? Well, I'm on the 2007 Ducks team, so I'm going to take the 2007 <laughs> Ducks. Sure. Right? You know, that's a... There's no right answer. I, I say 2007, and Kings fans are going to be all up in arms. But I think that the run they went on, and you know, they it was incredible what they did. All, all those games on the road, and Jonathan Quick. I mean, it was a lot of times at the end of a playoff. There's a debate, a little bit of a debate on who the Conn Smythe is. Mm-hmm. There was no. I mean, there was. I don't think anybody that watched any of those games had any other vote even for anybody. I mean, if there's never been a unanimous one, I, I have to think that that was probably one of the most unanimous picks. Um, and watching that run, but uh, you know, again, I, I'm going to say that uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say 2007 Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean Pronger, Scott Niedermeyer, both playing. Chris right. Pronger. Sorry, Chris Pronger. Sean, Sean was Pronger. a good so player. Chris, <laughs> right, Chris, Chris right. was a monster. <laughs> Chris Pronger and Scott Niedermeyer playing 30 minutes a night, but you played 20 minutes yourself. Yeah. Um, what was it like playing with you know guys like Niedermeyer and Pronger and, and playing that? It was, it was it was incredible because I, I got to play with Scotty in New Jersey, so I, I knew him a little bit before. And, and you want to talk about it. To me, that's a perfect example of two defensemen who are both Hall of Famers, who are both Norris Trophy winners, who both can beat you in so many different ways, but are so opposite. One guy was a guy that, uh, where you take Pronger, that was a huge, imposing, intimidating guy, probably one of the best first passers out of his own zone uh, that played the game. Um, just when the puck was on a stick, he never made a mistake. But you never really saw him skate with the puck. He was just a guy that could stand still and, 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 and literally uh, change the way the team played without moving. Scotty was the other way. He was just so smooth and didn't have an intimidating shot. Didn't really, if you looked at him, you'd think, there's nothing about this guy that really looks that intimidating. But, you know, that year in 07, we won, and, and he won the, uh, the Conn Smythe, and he scored three goals that year. Two of them were in overtime. And one of them was in the last minute against Detroit in game five to get it to overtime. So, you know, you can't teach that. Those guys that can just uh, uh, grab the moment and, and seem to rise when the team, you know, really, really needs it. And, you know, those two back on the fence was, uh, they were the, you know, one and one A. And then, you know, Boshaman and myself were kind of the three and four that picked up the slack. And then, you know, Joe Dependent and Ken Huskett were, would fill in some valuable minutes after that. But those two logged some heavy, heavy minutes. It's hard to lose when you've got uh, two guys playing 60 minutes a game. Well, I, I always said, you know, the the first year we played, uh, the first round we played Anaheim, or excuse me, Minnesota, and they had a big line uh, that was uh, Gabrick and, and uh, Koivu, and I think, uh, I forget who else was, was on the line. but And then the next one was um, Vancouver, and they had the Sedins, and I think Naslin, and then we had Detroit that had... Holmstrom, Zetterberg, and Datsuk. And then in the finals, we played Ottawa, and they were just killing everybody with Albertson, Heatley, and Spezza. And what's what's impressive is that at some point, those lines all had to get broken up when they played us. They, they couldn't do it, because when we were at home, we would put Pronger and Niedermeyer against them, and <laughs> that's it. You, you weren't getting much done. So it was, uh, 
it was a testament to those two defense, and then also we, we, we had a shutdown, a third line of Niedermeyer, the other Niedermeyer, Travis Moen, and Sammy Paulson. Again, another sweep, but Sammy Paulson <laughs> was a very, very underrated player as far as yeah. that kind of, uh, in that kind of role. So we, uh, teams would come in and, 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 and just get nothing, uh, and Jaguar would make the big save, whereas L.A. didn't give up a lot, but Quick was awesome. Jaguar didn't have to be awesome because he was good, but didn't have to be awesome because it just his teams didn't get much at all. Most of my dad's family lives in Ottawa, and I spent a lot of time there as a kid. And when that Stanley Cup final was coming down to it, and it was Anaheim and Ottawa, our, all my uncles would tell us, Senators Cup, you know, it's done, done deal, fait accompli. And my dad and I were telling them all the time, you don't understand. Yeah. Like, you are going to lose. You have no idea the buzzsaw you're about to run into. That was a good team. It was a, that was a They were a good team. And, and, and the thing that I thought was interesting, and again, you know, Canadian media mm-hmm. can sometimes get short-sighted <laughs> a little bit, and, and they wanted them to win so badly. And talking to my family and friends, my family and friends, my close friends and family knew how good we were. But talking to some other people or listening to the media up there, you know, at that time, I don't know if the Eastern Conference was, I'm not saying it wasn't as strong, but it wasn't as big and heavy as the mm-hmm. Western Conference was. And at that time, Ottawa was just running over people. I mean, they were they were a, a good team offensively, but they were physically, they were a big team for that conference. And they were, they were hitting people, and their fourth line played hard, and they played heavy, and they were what you consider a big, mean team. Um, but I, I, I think we were, too. And I don't think that, uh, um, I don't think people that didn't see the, the games in the West Coast and that realized how big and heavy and how good we were. And, and I think that, um, I don't think Ottawa matched up well physically against us. It's a weird question I'm going to throw in there. It just occurred to me now. Um, do you think Andy McDonald gets the credit he deserves for the career that he had? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think that he played with, uh, um, you know, our top line back then was, was McDonald, Kunitz, and Solani. And, and obviously Solani gets a lot of credit and, and well-deserved. Uh, Andy McDonald was was a heck of a player. I mean, he was, a, you know, back then, you know, it wasn't as open as it is now. You had to be a tough little player to be that size and to be that crafty. But, you know, Tamu can't get those goals if someone's not passing to him on a stick or getting to him at the right place. Uh, and Chris Kunitz is a guy that I think went through waivers once or twice that year, uh, you know, won the cup and has gone on to win two more in Pittsburgh and, and I think represent Canada at, a, at an Olympics or, or maybe a World Cup. But he's had a heck of a career. So that, that, that whole line was, uh, you know, everybody talks about Getzlaff and Perry and this and that and Solani, but, you know, we, we, had, a, we had a deep, deep team. An incredible team. Fast forward <laughs> to uh, today's game. What do you think of today's game and compare it to when you played, when it was a bigger game, maybe a, a heavier game, a more physical game? Now it's kind of turned and transitioned to a speed game. What do you make of today's game? Like it? Dislike it? You I think it's better than it was before? Well, I think it's more skilled than it was before. I mean, there's a, you could debate all day whether it's better. I think that it's, a, like you said, it's a faster game. Um, you know, sometimes faster maybe isn't necessarily better as far as you can go to a college game and, and they're running around. That's fast, fast hockey. But some people prefer the OHL or junior hockey because there's different aspects of the game and more of a grind kind of game. Uh, I don't think... I'd like to think I could play in, in, in the NHL now, but I don't know if I could have just because it, it, it went that way. Um, my biggest concern now is watching players, especially defensemen, is you know with the speed and, and with not being able to hold up is just learning to protect yourselves. The you hit know, from I, behind. It's not even so much the hit from behind. It's just the uh, uh, knowing that a guy is coming and, and putting yourself in vulnerable spots. I, I get. 
I don't know if I get nervous or I get angry or I get frustrated at watching some players. You know, you, you should never, ever have your head against the glass. Ever. I can't remember one time in my career I had my head flush up against the glass uh, or be facing the glass when you know a guy's coming or, you know, know who your opponent is when they're going to come finish a hit. Um, and I don't know if that's a product of, of growing up now with that where it's just all speed and no one really finishes their checks and now you get to the NHL and people do and you don't know how to defend yourself. But um, certainly the game's more entertaining to watch the speed, um, but that's one aspect of not being able to protect yourself and not, um, you know, concussions and stuff is certainly uh, certainly something that uh, you want to keep an eye on. Final thought from me, uh, you said growing up you didn't have any inkling that you'd be in the NHL or have 17 seasons in the NHL, yet you have a brother that played pro hockey as well, so that's two of you. Did your brother not know that he was going to play pro hockey either, or was that something that he was on a career path for? No, no, same thing. He just We just loved playing, and it was... Uh, you got some genes in your family. I know. Yeah, I gotta tell you. I know, and he just liked playing. He was a centerman. Uh, he was tall, and, and again, not the fastest guy, but he was about 6'4", really, really nice hands, uh, like really good hands. Um, just, you know, enjoyed playing, but maybe didn't enjoy the other 23 hours of that came with preparing yourself to play, whether it's a... You know, work ethic or nutrition, whatever it is that comes along with. It's not just to show up at the rink and you know play well at Staples. There's there's the rest of the the rest of the day and, and the off season stuff that has to go with. And maybe he didn't totally enjoy that part. Just, just to tack on to that, and we were talking beforehand. Do, do you miss it? Do you miss the game? Do you miss playing? Do you miss I do. the practices I mean, and things I, like that? I don't miss the practices that much. <laughs> uh, the um, weight room, maybe you don't miss. There's. I miss, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's cliche, but it's the answer you get from every player, and there's a reason for it. You miss the guys. You miss the camaraderie. You miss the locker room, the, locker room, yeah. the bus, the plane ride, dinners on the road. You just miss that sense of, uh, uh, in no way would I ever compare it to a soldier or the Army, but you hear those guys say it all the time. They come back, and they just they don't have that pack mentality where, yeah. you know, you know a guy's got your back and you have his. And, and, again, I'm not trying to compare it to that, but um, there's something that when you – when you go and you want something so bad, whether it's uh, winning that game or trying to win the Stanley Cup, and you have 20 other guys that want that also, and they'll do everything they can to block a shot, do whatever they can, and you'll do it too. There's this, just a certain connection that you feel to those guys that when you're not playing, you miss. Well, you'll see them between the benches on the Fox Sports West broadcasts, and as an analyst on Fox Sports West as well, Former Kings defenseman Sean O'Donnell, thanks for doing this. We appreciate All it. All right, anytime, guys. Thank and uh, one of the only active players traded between the Kings and Ducks. Odd piece of there it is. <laughs> of right. there it is. There. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. For half a century, the Los Angeles Kings have been bringing excitement, passion, and Stanley Cup glory to Southern California, delighting our deeply loyal fan base by being a leader in incredible events and employing the greatest players in NHL history. The legacy continues as we celebrate our 50th anniversary, striving for innovation in a constant pursuit of excellence with a first-class commitment to our fans and partners and with an unmatched pledge to improving our community. We are all kings.